0: Hi, this is Eric Corey Freed.
1: And Eve Blossom. And this is Care by Design. This week on Care by Design is part one of a two-part podcast with Michael Hebb and Angel Grant. Michael and Angel met about a decade ago and have worked together ever since in the end of life movement. Michael started his career as an architect but moved into designing interactions around meaningful topics with the ability to shift culture through discourse-based engagements. Michael and Angel co-founded Death Over Dinners together. And Angel has been teaching waking up from default response into present moment awareness, using somatic work, yoga, guided meditations, and focuses on empathy, rewiring addictive patterns, and peace with death dying. Michael and Angel recently launched an end-of-life platform that we discuss. This podcast is truly an intimate conversation about death and losing loved ones for all of us. Enjoy. Angel and Michael, it is great to have you today on Care by Design. Before we dig in, I wanted to share how wonderful it was during the first weeks and months of sheltering in place to, to work with you on such a great project, Virtual Funerals, and with so many other contributors as
2: well. Really, it was an incredible time to, one, to see so many leaders from such diverse perspectives working together on COVID while it was happening, you know, around all of us, so.
1: Do you wanna tell a little bit about what the Virtual Funerals were?
2: Yeah, well, that group came together actually from a single Facebook post. And it started with a conversation that I had with Candy Can, who's a professor at Baylor University. And she's been studying grief and death rituals for the last 30 years and has been really interested in virtual grief and death rituals. And I started chatting with her because all of a sudden, It seemed like the virtual would be much more important in our lives as people were starting to face the fact that they would potentially be dying alone, that people wouldn't be able to be bedside with loved ones, that grief would potentially look a lot different, and that just rituals in general would be interrupted slash dramatically shifted for the foreseeable future. And so I put out a Facebook post, which you responded to, Eve, who wants to think about this? And from a single Facebook post, we had 80 leaders and some of the most extraordinary leaders in the end-of-life space. And for the first time, having funeral directors and medical directors working together that I've ever witnessed. And what we were able to produce in, in two months is kind of astounding to me. Usually collaboration, and I know we're going to talk about design at some point, but collaboration and too many cooks in the kitchen is generally a problem when you're trying to get something done on time. And we were able to create a pretty extraordinary white paper, which we took the white out of white paper and just called it COVID paper. Within a very short period of time, that's now been used and utilized countless times. So pretty extraordinary experience for me and felt really meaningful, I think, for a lot of the people involved.
1: Angel, I wanted to talk to you today about what you are seeing and experiencing during this first long wave of COVID-19 in this time of incredible need in regards to end of life, and in general, with heightened anxiety and fear around well-being for loved ones and for oneself.
3: Um, well, to begin with, uh, I was really sick in March, and it was before uh, I could get—I couldn't get tested, even with ins that I have in healthcare. Um, and I was really sick, like, like, and, and I solo parent my two-year-old, and so there was this for me an added layer that I wouldn't have experienced before being a mom um, to the terror about, you know, around thoughts of dying. And I, when I stopped being able to breathe well and get my breath, uh, that's not a common symptom for me when I get a cold during the winter or early spring. Um, That day things became very terrifying and almost paralyzed me. And I watched my, and I just mean, you know metaphorically paralyzed but i watched my own fear i i sat on the couch and watched my this terror as i was watching my son play in the floor and i uh it's like i had this flash of of all the people who were sick at that time with covid who were unable to get tested who were in worse situations of less support than i have even and just I could feel the collective terror and the uncertainty that was in the whole, just, I could feel it in the ether. It felt like, Um, and I knew in that moment that if I didn't pause just inside myself and slow down and check my anxiety, because anxiety is not an emotion. Anxiety is a signal uh, that there's an emotion that we're repressing. And that emotion is either fear, anger, or grief. Um, I would say 10 times out of 10. And so I just had to be with my fear so that I would even create conditions inside my body that would be helpful for healing. Less than a month later, my grandma died. We weren't able to have a funeral. And then two weeks later, my dog of 11 years died. And I, so uh, I was very aware through all of my grief that was borderline crippling at the time um, that There was a collective grief of countless people experiencing different stories, but the same feelings that I was. And it was like a tsunami that I felt like I couldn't get out from under for a bit because you don't have those things that you usually have. Like I never understood how important a funeral is until we couldn't have one for my grandmother. And even though a lot of us um, going around, family at large is sometimes stressful for us, but in a situation with a death, um, I longed so hard for the ritual of connection of gathering around that person who we all loved, and just being able to touch each other, like not being able to hug, you know, and see uh, all of your loved ones during that time was really difficult. So, I stayed hyper aware of the, of the collective anxiety and collective uncertainty and collective grief and would just sit at night right after my son fell asleep for just like five minutes and just uh, be with the sensations of my own and put out that loving kindness for everybody else.
0: So in this awful, weird, disturbing period that we're in, we're, we're going through it all together but it hasn't ended yet. So we can't even tally up the loss yet. Right. But yet in this period, I've lost my mother a month ago. I've lost other people that I've known. Facing a death of a loved one has caused me to think about my own end of life planning. And so you just launched a new website, eol.community, which I went through and filled out and had a lot of fun with. <laughs> but it's for end of life planning and it's, I know it's been in the works for years, but your timing seems not to put a marketing spin on it, but it seems kind of perfect timing um, given the need for this. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sending it out to everybody. Just, this is important. You should do this. Um, What do you hope people will get from the website in, in regards to the end of life process? What are the conversations you wanted them to be having I guess what have you learned in building this whole thing in terms of the support and products and services that, that people need, especially people like me who've didn't even want to think about it until it, you know, stared them in the face.
2: That's a big question. And I'm sorry about your loss Eric. The, um, wow. What have we learned Angel? (laughs) A lot, (laughs) a lot. How long you got? I think that someone, I was talking to someone recently and they said, when did, when did EOL start? Um, when did this project begin? And I think it started on August 24th, 2013. And that's the day that Death Over Dinner launched. And there were 500 dinners um, in something like 20 countries on a single night, um, thanks to, some amazing folks at the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. We were able to have a global moment immediately. We got people to talk about things that they don't talk about, talk about a nuanced conversation about end of life, um, to really feel into it, to project themselves there, to think about the loss that they've maybe not grieved for whatever reason. We all have losses that we haven't grieved so and it's almost like we got them we invited everybody to this great big party to some extent like yeah no talk about it because then you're gonna you know then we'll all get prepared together and it was like we went around and told people there's this party we want to throw it and it's gonna look like this and what would you do at that party and how would you be at that party and what would your role be and how would you feel and then we're like oh there well this is not There's no party. party. (laughs) We had nowhere to push people to actually get prepared. We let the poetry kind of lead before the product to some extent. And so since that time, we've been listening to people grapple with, delve into, um, feel their way through their mortality. And what has been really, really missing is here's the place you can go where all of the best providers are where all of the best experts in the end-of-life space, from a Buddhist perspective, from a Jewish perspective, from a Christian perspective, they're all there. And not just because we have some of their content, but they're actually part of the community. And a place where you can create a simple plan and you can complete the plan without leaving the site. Um, And then you can share it with your loved ones. And then it can be saved. This is what the space actually needs. And we had the great honor and privilege of being able to build that thing um, which is eol.community and it's definitely the first the very beginning of the journey and it's going to deepen and get so much richer but what we're launching with there is so much there I'm, I'm pretty incredibly proud of it um, and it, I, I think it will you know before we launched in the team you know they're heads down and they're designers and they're technologists and we have a team of 50 developers working all over the world and we have all of these incredible folks and and they were deep in the in the weeds of it all and I had to stop people and remind them say when this launches in the world it is going to reduce human suffering by a certain amount we don't know how much but all of your work isn't going to selling a widget or, you know, making X, Y, or Z, everything you're doing is, all of your energy is going directly to reducing human suffering. And you just could feel it in, in the team. They're so excited, they're like, you know, we have technologists in India and Germany, and they're like, what happened today? They're like, well, <laughs> tell us the stories from the front line, Michael and Angel. So, I mean, that's really what EOL is, It's that, it's that one comforting place and community that can, can take care of people.
1: Well, that's quite an incredible impact. So Angel, you and I have talked many times about how there needs to be a real shift of conversation and experience around end of life and how Buddhist monks do a meditation practice that uses various visualization and contemplation techniques to meditate on the nature of death and I've been fortunate enough to experience numerous times you leading death meditations, and each time the experience was transformational, I mean truly transformational.
3: So Buddhist monks have known for thousands of years it seems that contemplating your own death actually distills down what matters most in this life, so it's an instruction really it becomes an internal instruction for how to live the rest of your days. In our culture, you know, we've come a long way. When we met, we were both, I was leading death meditations and he was had just been gotten started on building death over dinner at university of Washington. And, and we didn't even realize at first somebody said later, you're both doing into death. Then we were like, what? But back then, you know, there wasn't so much the good death movement and all of these things. And so, people were still thinking you were really weird if you were inviting them to a death meditation. But as it turns out, and as you've participated in, Eve, I've practiced and led various forms of death meditations. You can contemplate your own death a million different ways, but just sitting um, with the fact for two minutes a day or two minutes once a week, of just sitting and getting really still inside and really quiet and acknowledging from the deepest part of you, not from that top really loud brain part that we all have, but the deeper parts acknowledging this body dies. Like if you start your day with that, a lot of people say, oh, that sounds so horrible. It's so morbid. It's like miserable. But really for me and for so many people that have, that have shared their experiences in death meditations with me, it really just cuts the fat from, you know, it's like, it's so easy for me to get caught up in when I'm like working in front of a computer all day or to just get caught up in things that aren't actually super important, like, but our brain will just spin, spin out with something. And if we keep coming back to the fact that this body dies, like just for a few seconds throughout the day, this body dies, then it just recalibrates the North star of like what actually matters to me. And from that I can take action and rearrange my days.
0: Angel, you've been dancing around this, your whole career. And it almost seems like you're, you're strategically lighting up certain areas because your bio reads like a who's who of of stuff, right? You've, You've worked with addiction issues. You've worked with at-risk youth. You've worked with healthcare people, but you're also doing yoga and mindfulness practices. You know, but at the same time, you're right. If I was invited to a death dinner, I'd think, "Oh, this this is one of the weirder experiences I'm going to have tonight." Right? <laughs> Are you still weird, or is this now gone mainstream? And if it's mainstream, what's what have you what have you learned that that you could have used 10 years ago that would have made it mainstream faster
3: the work is certainly less weird i don't know about where i come from i'm from the deep south and so they still think i'm super weird around here when we built death over dinner michael can create such magic at such scale like nobody i've ever seen and at the time i was i was much more focused on super intimate groups and deep, I want people to walk out of the room deeply impacted for the rest of their life. And, and I don't care if that's a room with like five people, you know, that I would work in groups of less than 20 usually. And when we came together and started working together and building Death Over Dinner and these other projects, I was feeling my way around for how, like I wanted the, a, a thread woven into my being of what the work was in resonance with what I know my purpose to be on this planet. And what I realized was that we, we built death over dinner to reduce the distance between us and us being humans, because when there's conversations that go unspoken, say for example, about our end of life wishes, but for anything, conversations that go unspoken between people who care about each other, that, silence becomes synonymous with distance and in that because in that silence we can make up stories about what the other person thinks or wants or it, you know we make up stories in the silence and in the distance and in that silence and distance we don't often get our needs or desires met Over the last 10 years as we've been doing this work, people who have been at death dinners tend to say something to the effect of, wow, that was so life-affirming. That was not like I expected it to be. And so there's this way that people get that it's really, yes, about getting your end-of-life wishes met, but it's about intimacy. And people hear the word intimacy and a lot of people think sex, but intimacy is really about truth, like the unencumbered truth. And everything that we're building is about that. And so if I had known all of that so clearly 10 years ago, then I probably could have communicated it better instead of just being like, Oh, don't be scared. Come to the death meditation. That experience brings wisdom. And if you'd had that wisdom, you could communicate better what the outcomes are. And when the outcomes are what everybody wants, like we all want connection. It's just a basic human need. And if you say this actually just gets you connection, it just gets you connection and it gets your desires met. Well, who doesn't want that?
2: I was just thinking about what you were saying Angel, when I was looking for a co-founder and Angel was like, well, I need this project to be woven into the very thread of my soul and have, it have me obtain my spiritual destiny. Will, will it provide that Michael? And, and the reality was, the, that that I mean, she she was that intense, and it was like, yeah, no, I wanted I want it to do that, Angel. How can we make it do that? And so, you're a, you're a designer, Eric, and it's like one of the uh, you know one of the schematic um, elements that we had to hit.
1: I'm lucky to know you, Michael, for about those ten years, even maybe a little bit longer, around ten years, I think, and I got to know Angel through you. And I was part of the conscious dying movement separately from you all. But then I felt so lucky to meet Angel through you because she is that, like just like she's describing and has always been that. But, you know, what's interesting is that because I've been on this journey with you all and watching how you're unfolding and what you're building, what you're putting into the world, and, and me being like skirting the conscious dying movement, being part of it, but not as in bedded like you all are, like deeply, you know, my mother passed away October 30th, and you know, I was texting with both of you, and you know, you were all there in the room with me, because the connections we've had over the years, and me describing what I was thinking and feeling, and each one of you would say, don't forget to do X, or are you taking care of yourself? Or, I mean, there were moments where you would remind me of things, I was like, you guys were really there in the room with me. And when she passed and I was holding her hand and I loved her beautiful hands and she was no longer breathing. And you look at her and you say, she chose her death. And I just wanted to bring this up because my mother was ailing and yet she chose to die. She didn't have to die. She could have had some years and kept declining, but she chose in her courageous way to go to hospice and do the five days and I sat next to her. And it was the most beautiful experience. And every single day, or there would be an hour, I'd, gosh, I need to talk to Angel about this. Oh my gosh, Michael told me about this. And you know, like you guys were in the room. That's all I can say. You were there with me. So thank you.
2: That feels very good to hear you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us in.
1: Hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Care by Design with Eric Corey Freed and me, Eve Blossom, as your hosts. We look forward to our next interview this upcoming Tuesday. Visit us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Care by Design Pod. And there you can see additional show notes of each of our podcast interviews and additional posts on new podcast interviews. So tune in this Tuesday for our next Care by Design podcast. Hear us then.